Hello, everyone. I'm Prutha Shah, a fourth-year student at Rowan School of Osteopathic Medicine, and I would like to welcome you all to the American College of Physician New Jersey Chapter's new podcast series. With me today are Sultan Bukhari, fourth-year from Rowan SOM. Hi, guys. And Mark Heslin, also a fourth-year from Cooper Medical School. Hello, everyone. We are part of the Medical Student Council for American College of Physicians, New Jersey Chapter. On today's podcast, we are going to be talking about how to tackle step one boards. But before we get started, I would like you to know that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions of American College of Physicians or ACP New Jersey chapter. And with that, let's get started. So today we are going to be in conversation with our fellow medical student, Samir Mehta, who is going to be sharing some tips and tricks regarding how to successfully tackle step one and or level one. Samir, welcome to our very first podcast. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So hi guys, my name is Samir Mehta. I'm a fourth year at the Rowan School of Osteopathic Medicine with uh, Sultan and Pruta. And uh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for welcoming me. Awesome. Before we get into the details, Samir, did you um, have a great target score in mind or how did you come up with a target score? And can you tell us a little bit about the process of doing that? Yeah, sure. So this, I think, is something that's overlooked. Everyone goes into the boards and says, you know, everybody wants to get the perfect score. It's, a, it's near, nearly impossible to get it. What you should do, what I did to figure out my target score, is I picked what top three specialties I'm leaning towards at that moment, which at a second year level, it's very moldable for change. But um, I looked at the top three and then I looked at the charting outcomes PDF that's put out by the NRMP every year, and it gives you the board scores of successful applicants. So I looked at my top three, the average board score, and I found what the range was that I wanted to score within. And once you figure out that range, it really helps you like set realistic expectations on how you want to approach the boards, how much you want to go through, and how far you want to drive yourself into insanity. And so. Um, I used this method and luckily I was able to achieve my target range and I recommend it to any student at the onset of their study. Awesome. Thanks, Samir. All right. So let's start off with some questions about the school year and how um, step setting is incorporated into that. So for our first question, so how did you incorporate step one studying while also studying for your in-house exams? This is a, this is a really tough question because you know, there's a part of you and a, and a big faction of your class that's going to say boards, 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 but then there's the administration and the, the requirements that you need to do well on your regular courses that you're paying for in medical school, you know? So, um, you know, boards is, of course, the dark cloud that's above our entire second year. But, you know, to navigate both, what I did is I made a very tight schedule and I stuck to it. I didn't let my days end until I finished it, whether that meant if I slacked off early, I was staying up late. Or if I you know, got my work done early, I could go out and have a nice dinner. So what I did was mine was based on the number of questions and the number of lectures for boards and beyond I wanted to watch in a day. And then so whatever that number was, whatever system or block I was studying, I would do whatever number of questions I determined for that day. And we'll get into that later. And then I did whatever number of lectures I had to watch for that day. Like if it was cardio and I was learning heart sounds, that would be maybe four videos, but then other things like kidney stuff would be like eight videos. So I would use that and that would be most of my mornings and portions of my afternoon. 
I would take a break and then I'd come back and luckily my school records all their lectures. So I'd watch the um, echo recordings of whatever my school had us required us to watch for that day or for maybe a couple days if I was falling behind. And I'd use my after afternoons to tackle any of the school stuff that was required of me. Awesome. That's a great approach. And I think this is really important and students will find this very helpful because I think this is one of the first questions I always get when students ask how to prepare for step one. So thank you for that. Um, and going off that, so when should we, when should students start studying for step one? All right. So once again, your school classmates are going to throw you left and right. There's some students who start first day of med school. They're like, I'm doing board questions. And then there's some people who start in the beginning of second year, but I don't see many people who start early doing so much better, or I even see them doing worse because they burn out earlier. I think the sweet spot of when you should start studying for step one pretty dedicatedly should be um, the winter of your second year. So, I mean, go home, have a Merry Christmas, and then when you come back, you're going to enter into a phase known as pre-dedicated. So pre-dedicated is your first pass of UO. And then also, um, but with that, there's like a caveat. So you should start UWorld after Christmas. But when you start second year of med school, you should be using an auxiliary question bank and you should be using that with your clinical coursework that your school is giving you. And that's because you want to start to extract data and think of data in the form of clinical vignettes. Whereas in first year, it was more about memorizing little biochemistry factoids. But now you want to look at all the data and see how it could present in the form of a question that starts with a 40-year-old patient and that type of thought process. Great. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, the key thing there is really just, you know, starting from the whole entire second year, just doing practice questions, which, you know, we'll talk about later, but I think it's really the most important thing for step one setting. So awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and then going towards the next question. So what are the best resources for step one? I know you mentioned some before, but what would you say are the best resources? So the tried and tested method is the UFAPS method, which is UWorld, First Aid, Pathoma, and sketchy. So UFAPS. So you, everybody gets that first aid Bible. You're going to begin seeing it on your campus. Like at the start of second year, everyone's going to be carrying it around and it becomes like a badge of honor. But so first aid is one thing. UWorld is the best question bank that I think exists. It was so helpful for me and so many of my classmates. And then the P is for Pathoma. Pathoma is like a, is a series of lectures that's hosted by this man named Dr. Hussein Sitar. And um, he put out these lectures that are pretty concise and they teach you the pathology that's required for the step one. And then the S is for sketchy. So sketchy micro as first years, you probably have already encountered and you've probably seen how good it can be to help you memorize little factoids about microbes. But then there's also sketchy farm, which has mixed reviews. It can tend, it can tend to be very long, but the best resources undisputed were definitely UWorld, first aid, pathoma and sketchy micro. Sketchy Farm is if you like it. And then also one more thing though, with, you, with the first aid, you're not gonna be able to read that book front to back. It's gonna require some help. So by help, I mean you should be using a video lecture series as an accompaniment to your first aid and helping to guide how to read first aid and also giving you things to annotate into first aid. What you'll start to see is people will carry around all these colored markers and they're using that to annotate into their first aid the things that they learned from the video lecture series. And so there are two of them that are really, um, you know, dominant. There's DIT, Doctors in Training, and there's Boards and Beyond. 
and um, I went with Boards and Beyond because it was very comprehensive. And those are the resources that I think are like non-negotiable. And then um, there's secondary question banks that you could pick. The two most, the two most popular ones are Kaplan and USMLERX. I personally went with Kaplan, but um, a lot of people went with USMLERX and they found good success with it. I loved Kaplan. The app is very good. It's very convenient, and, um, and the questions are as close to URL as you can get. Great, awesome. And I think an important thing about resources as well is that quantity doesn't necessarily equate to a higher score. So I think, you know, you mentioned a lot of very high quality resources and you didn't mention like, you know, a million resources that you use. So it you know, just, you know, the more resources you use doesn't always equate to a higher score. Great. Yep, totally agree. And then um, kind of go, going back to questions. So how many practice questions should students be doing in a day or a week or during their study period? So whatever you want to do in a day or in a week, that's up to how much you can handle. There's some people who could handle doing 160 a day. There's some people who are more like me who can do maybe 80 a day. And so the way that I figured out how many questions I want to do is how many times I wanted to do every question. But so I knew going into it that everyone was telling me that I'm going to have to be doing U World twice. So U World is 2,900 questions. So I'm doing U World two times. I know I wanted to do an auxiliary question bank. I started that at the beginning of second year. So I knew that I wanted to finish that. So that was Kaplan, which is 2,800 questions. So that's 2,900 times two, and then 2,800 questions of that. And then being that I'm a DO student, I also need to focus on the complex. So in that sense, I had to do like at least close to 2,000 combank questions. So just discrete questions from question banks, I did 10,000. Not to mention the full length exams that I did, which were about eight. And so after eight full length, uh, exams, you end up doing 2,000 questions on top of that. So at the end of this whole second year board preparation period, be, ex be ready to have done 12,000 questions. Awesome. And then kind of the last question um, I have for during the school year is that, you know, there's so many resources out there. So like what resources did you not use for your step one prep that people maybe should consider not to use? Yeah. So like you, you made a great point earlier that resource, resource overload does not equal great results. There were so many people who bought everything. They, they, had, they watched every lecture too. They used these resources. And yet when they got to the exam, they found themselves to be underprepared. And I think they were just overwhelmed. So um, the resources that I neglected to use were um, USMLERX. I chose the Kaplan route. And I knew there was no way that I was going to do both Kaplan and RX and gain anything from either, either question bank. So I chose not to use USMLERX. And then Doctors in Training was the other video lecture series that I mentioned. And I chose to go the Boards and Beyond route. And Boards and Beyond just happens to be much more comprehensive. And I felt like I needed that guided approach, whereas Doctors in Training is a really fun and interactive type of uh, video series that will give you mnemonics and they have plays. And it's a little more animated. It's not as monotonous as Boards and Beyond. But also, I felt that it was skimming too much just on the surface and not taking me deep enough to do well in the boards. So that's why I didn't use RX and I didn't use DIT. Thank you for those responses, Samir. That was awesome. Thank you. Hey, Samir. Uh, thanks again for doing this. And also, thanks, Mark. Uh, those are some excellent questions. I'm just going to take over from here. Uh, I just have some questions about now that the that your pre-dedicated would be over at this point, uh, you would start your dedicated study period. So I just want to ask some questions uh, more in, in tune to that. 
So I'll just get this right started. Uh, how did you make a schedule for your dedicated uh, study? So just quickly before we get into this dedicated, for the pre-dedicated, I just want to go over like what my objectives were in the pre-dedicated. So in pre-dedicated, sure. that's a period of time that you you have your first U World pass, your first full comprehensive U World pass. So in that period of time, my pace was different. And um, you have so much time in the pre-dedicated because you have up until like, you know, from Christmas to the start of your dedicated to finish U World for the first time. So I was doing U World at a pace of maybe 40 questions a day. And I was taking my time to annotate them because U World is only as good as what you get out of the questions. You can power through the questions, but if you don't sit there and learn why something was nephrolithiasis and why something was urethral injury, and you don't sit there and look at the differences that U World is explaining to you, you're not going to gain anything from this amazing question book. So that's why my first pass was uh, my pre-dedicated period was my first pass at U World. But at the same time, I made it a point to finish Boards and Beyond during that period of time. So going into dedicated, just to be clear, I had finished Boards and Beyond. My first aid was fully annotated. I had watched every sketchy micro at least once, if not twice. And I had um, I'd finished Pathoma. And then I had done UWorld for the first pass. And that was going into my dedicated period. So now your question was, how do you schedule your dedicated? So now you've done all this in your pre-dedicated. So that means in your dedicated period of time, I scheduled it in the sense that I didn't want to watch that many videos. I would only watch videos of things I kept getting wrong. I remember I couldn't tell the difference between certain types of blood cancers. So I had to rewatch the pathoma video on that. And I remember that some of the kidney questions were really perplexing because nephrotic and nephritic can be so similar in so many ways. So I had to rewatch the videos on that. So I would only watch videos on demand. So when I went to scheduling my dedicated, I did number of UWorld questions per, uh, divided by the days of my dedicated. So in the dedicated period of time, I wanted to make my second pass at UWorld. So that's 2,900 questions divided by however, however many days of dedicated you have. But from the days of dedicated that you have, you have to subtract days that where you're taking full-length exams because you're not going to hit your UWorld goals on those days. So that took away five to six days on my, on my dedicated schedule. Not to mention like days I had like a friend who was getting married. So I had to, I lost a day of dedicated for that. And at the end of doing all these calculations of number of UWorld questions divided by days of dedicated, I found that the rate of UWorld that I needed to keep up was about 71 questions per day to be done before my exam, which wasn't crazy. That's two blocks of UWorld. And then, so my mornings were spent doing UWorld. I would wake up, I would eat breakfast. Of course, don't do this thing where you try to intermittent fast during dedicated. Maybe it'll work for you, but my, my brain works on food, so I needed to eat something. <laughs> and, then my, um, and then after I finished my UWorld blocks, I would mandatorily do one hour of exercise. And actually exercising is pretty easy during dedicated because doing anything but studying is something that your body wants you to do. So um, I, I exercised for an hour. And then I'd come back and I would review these questions. And I would try to look for patterns of questions I keep getting wrong. And I would just read my first aid, look through my annotations, and review everything I got wrong to the point where I would never get it wrong again. And then um, two other things I did was during meal times, right? So I went for my exercise. And then I'd come back and I would have lunch before I started my afternoon review. And during my lunch, I was watching sketchy micro videos. And I would watch like one or two sketchy micro videos. And then during dinner, I would um, read two or three of the Lang pharmacology flashcards. And that's, that's just because micro and farm are two things that have so many things that can be um, memorized. They don't require like a thought process. It's just pretty straightforward that 
a side effect of this drug is that, or if this bug bites you, it's going to present in this rash. So that's why I would use those times to brush up on micro and farm. And then after I'd finished my farm during dinner, I was essentially done. Like I would still kind of sneak in a little bit of studying, but as far as my schedule was concerned, I was done after I ate dinner and then I slept and you wake up, you wake up early the next day and you get back into it. I see. I see. So just a couple of things from that. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, starters, you pretty much used UWorld as a textbook and not just a QBank, which I think that's the purpose of UWorld to make it that to make it the best resource that there uh, there is available. If you just think of it as something like a textbook. Also, I also in, enjoy the fact that you were very detailed in your study schedule because something like step one, it it's like going to battle. So you want to be prepared and have a like sharp plan, which will help you succeed. So th those are some excellent points. So Thanks. I just have a, another question. Um, so, if someone wants to start dedicated after they did one pass to your world, what's your opinion? I mean, you already mentioned that you, you did a second pass, but if someone say wants to do a new, new Q bank, would you recommend something like that? Or just, or you would stick strong with the second pass of your world? I, I stick pretty much strong to the second pass of your world. The step one is most similar to your world. I mean, you go in there and then you, you open up the exam. And you just are thinking, hold on, am I, is there some error or am I doing UWorld? Because it is exactly UWorld. It looks, UWorld looks, looks more similar to the exam than the NBME practice test formats. So in that sense, UWorld also has questions that are the most similar to the board exam. So that's why doing UWorld for a second pass and seeing those illustrations that UWorld gives you and those answer justifications are just too valuable. And I did use an auxiliary secondary question bank, which was Kaplan, but I used that more towards the first portion of second year. And then I would use it like sporadically during my pre-dedicated and my dedicated. And I did, I did manage to finish that, but also um, for DO students, we have to do ComBank, right? So during dedicated, you have to squeeze in ComBank and I got done with about 70% of that. But if it's between UWorld and doing a first pass of Kaplan, I would always go with the second pass of UWorld. There's some people that just do two passes of UWorld and they do fine. Okay. And uh, I do agree with that as well because I remember when I was doing, I did a second pass of UWorld as well. Another benefit I think of doing a second pass is that people like me would do a second pass at random and time, which also helped me train for test day. So it helped me, uh, yeah, it helped me with trying to navigate how the, uh, in a typical step one block uh, works. It, it's not just like one block of one topic. It's all mixed. Um, so thank you for that. Another question, uh, how, and I think you mentioned this, but just to re reiterate, uh, how did you track your progress during dedicated? Now, this is a great question. Um, so you also brought up another good point. The second pass of UWorld needs to be timed and random. The first pass, you can do tutor mode and you can do it based, broke down by subjects. But the second pass, you need to emulate the exam situation the exam conditions as frequently as possible so i thank you for that point that i forgot to mention now uh, when it comes to tracking your progress during dedicated i used you know euro percentage but of course that is going to be a little inflated because after one full comprehensive pass you're going to memorize a decent number of the questions which is okay but so i use the euro percentages as a as like a just to see just to make sure i'm jumping from like 75 percent to 80 
and hitting and going up with my goals. I I would also caution not to use the NVMe exams as um, a way to track your progress because each NVMe form can be so variable. Some of them are really difficult. Some of them are easier. Some of them find themselves in the middle. And there's no like really decided upon order on which you could take them. So some people do really well on NVMe 17 and get pulverized by NVMe 21. And that's why NVMe's are not the way to go to track your progress. Just use UWorld percentages. And then also then closer to your exam, use the UWorld self-assessments. And those between those two are where most people end up getting their final score. My score was right in between where my UWorld self-assessment one was and UWorld self-assessment two. I found my score to be directly in between. And also, one more thing when you're tracking your progress during dedicated, you can have some days where you're on fire. You can have weeks where you're on fire, where every question block you're getting, you're not missing many questions. But then you'll have one day where things are not looking good. But um, don't use those days and those bad UWorld percentages to get you down because then you're just going to waste time being sad for no reason. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, totally agree. Uh, another thing that I remember from my dedicated was uh, a good thing with the one positive with the MBMEs is that it does break down your weaknesses. And I remember I targeted those weaknesses more, which actually did help me improve in some ways. Like, for example, if, if a w- renal is a weakness for me, I would hit renal uh, re- a lot more that week or something like that. Um, all right. Thanks, Samir. Just uh, there's one other topic I want to ask, and then we'll move it on with, to Prutha. Just uh, a common uh, tool that people use is uh, Anki. Did you incorporate it during Anki? Or, and if you did or if you didn't, what did we, uh, would you use instead? And for any yeah. recommendations around that? So some people like love Anki. And understandably, it's like a very convenient resource. I just found that cards were reading me first aid. And so I just felt like reading it myself and seeing the big picture myself. But I did use Anki because it is a good resource. The memory base, the, t- the lapse time thing, you know, does help with memorization. So I used Anki for the memorization-based subjects, which were farm, micro. And then I also used this one Anki deck that I found, which was about the rapid review uh, buzzwords for, for, uh, from first aid. And these are things, these are just like cards that will tell you that like, you know, what's the most common congenital cardiac anomaly and then you flip the card and it says BSD. And so it helps you memorize buzzwords and sometimes buzzwords are all you have to go by. So I used that deck, I used the farm deck and I used micro decks. But then for, um, for everything else, like, you know, the physiology and the pathophysiology, I felt better using, you know, Dr. Ryan and boards and beyond lectures to get the big picture and then have him bring me in depth because you know, I'm a big picture type of person. I need to learn seeing it all and then seeing whatever details I need to know. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I actually like that you said that because uh, just so for the, the anyone listening to this, that Anki isn't absolutely necessary for everyone. And I don't think people should be pressured to doing it just based on uh, what you feel comfortable doing. But, um, but thank you for answering these questions. Uh, I think that's all the questions I have. Uh, thank you again for doing this, Samir. No problem. Thank you, Sultan. Um, that was amazing. Um, now that we got the logistics out of the way, uh, I must say that was a very hefty schedule you had for yourself in pre-dedicated and dedicated, Samir. A um, lot of questions, a lot of self-testing, self-assessment. Um, 
what I didn't get to hear was, um, did you schedule any breaks during your um, study time? And I know you mentioned working out was one of your things to take a break. Um, but any other resources that you use to just relax a little bit also during the week? So like on the day to day, I had like my one hour of exercise and then my time after dinner to watch movies or just lay down or cry, whatever I felt like doing that day. So that's, those are my like scheduled breaks, but um, that's what my, those are my day to day breaks, but there would be random Sundays where I would think, okay, maybe I just need to take this day off because everybody is going to experience burnout. And so I experienced burnout. I felt like I was at a basal level of burnout during dedicated. And I was only given little spurts of 15 minute bursts of energy that were given to me by Taco Bell and the gods that make that food. And those little bursts of energy were when I was most productive. But um, what I would say is that everyone does burn out. Everyone needs breaks. And sometimes these breaks are not scheduled. You don't know when your mood and everything and the whole world just is collapsing around you. You don't know when that's, you can't schedule when that's going to happen. But when it does happen, just take the break. And then pick up the slack the next day. Don't try to study through it. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that all breaks don't need to be scheduled. I think that was one of my biggest fears going into board studying, that um, how am I going to deal with um, relaxing time or how, how am I going to deal with burnout? And I think that's very important to keep that in mind, that you make a schedule. Yes, you might need to do 200 questions a day, for example, but you don't have to stick to it in case you're having a bad day that day. So take the time for yourself. Um, and that reminds me also, I think my unscheduled breaks, um, I, I used to have NBME day scheduled. And after that, I did not do anything. My NBME day, I reviewed the exam and that was it for the night for me. So I think that was a good way to get a break in um, and still feel like you did something productive that day because you just took an exam. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So any, any regrets from your side in terms of looking back, you think um, you should have done something differently or um, changed anything in your study strategies now that you have your score and now you're a fourth year medical student? I think that you, you go into this with everything and you give it like everything that you have. It would be, it, would, it wouldn't be wise to come out with regrets. And I went into it with the mindset that I don't want to leave any stone unturned. So I don't have any regrets on the study side. Or regrets, you know, I wish I took more breaks, honestly, because then I would have more, more hair now. But this was a decision that I made that I wanted to make sure I don't leave any studying stone unturned. But that did sacrifice a lot of free time. And, like, a lot of my friends did just take days and they would go meet. I didn't take those days. So, um, and I just kept studying through. And I studied through burnout sometimes. And I do regret that because that really did do a number on, like, my my ability to learn like certain subjects and have to go back and relearn them because I learned them during burning. So I do regret not taking enough breaks. Right. I absolutely agree with that. I think uh, looking back, majority of the medical students, that's their number one regret is not taking enough time for yourself and pacing yourself. So I think scheduling what we talked about in the beginning, making a schedule for yourself and knowing what works for you is the best way to deal with something like this. But that's all for the questions we have, Samir. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Sultan, for um, taking this conversation and um, uh, teaching our audiences how to deal with um, boards, burnout, and um, how to successfully come out of this. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Take care, everyone. See you next time.